Hi there, we just wanted to say thank you for downloading the latest episode of the Atmosphere is Electric. We really do appreciate it. Please remember to follow us on Twitter and Spotify and help us grow our audience by interacting with any content. Once again, thank you so much for the support. We really do appreciate it. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Atmosphere is Electric. As always, you're joined on one end of this digital technology by myself, Richard, on the other end, hopefully, is Fran. Hello, how are you doing? Good, mate, you? Yeah, really good, thank you. Did you, uh, you starting to get your feet under the table now, get used to having all this football back on the telly, starting to get the swing of it? Yeah, it's top draw when, when you're getting game after game, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's, what I've quite enjoyed this season so far is that it's, there's been, feels like there's been loads of different kickoff times, isn't there? They did that where they played around with the really late Saturday night game, a little bit of Friday every now and again, a little bit of Monday every now and again. So it feels like you, you, you kind of, you're on your toes, aren't you? You're not knowing where to look, but actually uh, another really, really good game week. And obviously, uh, really only one place where we can start. It was the big Sunday afternoon crash at St. James's Park. Uh, the atmosphere really was electric. And it's really the only place where we can start. Give give us your thoughts on on Newcastle one Liverpool two, mate. It was a bit of a strange game, to be honest. You know, and Van Dijk red. I can't believe that they actually appealed to say that it wasn't a red card. He just went completely through him. Um, there was obviously an argument if people were coming round, but I thought Newcastle started well, played really well, in good shape to them. And then obviously Liverpool came back and just hit them on the break. Really, then I think it was really nice to see Darwin Nunes get on the on the score sheet twice you know he's been ridiculed a bit hasn't he but he's always looked a player so I thought it was really nice to see him start scoring and look confident in front of goal see, yeah completely agree with, with that last sentiment there I, I think the interesting thing for me was if we go back to before the Van Dyke sending off and the Alexander Arnold uh, we'll call it a situation uh, and I think this is where actually the new rules are going to cause a problem for referees and the game itself because he got a yellow card for Let's be honest, not a yellow card offence, pushing the ball away slightly. And then what felt like a minute later, but it was a couple of minutes later in the game, he then sort of gets his arm across Anthony Gordon and everybody in the stadium is now calling for a second yellow card, which it probably was more of a yellow card than the first one. Yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was yellow. But 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 the first one wasn't. So, so you know, it, or it shouldn't have been. I understand the rules it is. But so that's the problem it's causing now. Isn't it? So the referee's got a decision to make and he says... Well, it's a bit early. The, the two together, that would be possibly the weakest sending off in the history of Premier League football. It would ruin the game. But then, 10 minutes later, Van Dyke makes a tackle. And, you, and you're confident it's a red. There's lots of people that aren't so confident. But at that point, then he's got no choice but to give it a red. Because well, everyone's still on his back with the Trent situation. I, I just think this yellow card piece could become a real problem for, for, for us as viewers. Because if, if Trent gets sent off in 10 minutes, the game's effectively killed very early on, right? Yeah, it ruins it as a spectacle, doesn't it? But I mean, you're going by the letter of the law. They were both, for me, they were both red cards. I think he has to send Trent off for that. Like you said, it's it's creating a problem for the ref where he probably feels he's trying to keep people on the pitch. But he's having to work against the rules. But you look at it from Newcastle's perspective, they've lost a game when Liverpool should have been down to nine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's always that piece of when something happens in a game, the rest of the game after it, if there's a different outcome, is different. So if Trent gets sent off, the rest of the game is different, so I don't believe it happens in it. So, but yeah, I see absolutely. If the game panned out as it would do, that they would have been down to nine. I think. I think there's a couple of other points. I think Eddie Howe made for the first time some some managerial decisions that that probably were a bit questionable. I think his substitutions actually helped Liverpool get back into the game by taking off what was you know looking like a very very solid, very comfortable victory. He made some changes, which seemed, of course, Klopp made some changes too, but. The Eddie Howe ones, for me, actually gave Liverpool that kind of fingernail back into the game. 
Mm. I think it was a very similar sort of pattern to the uh, Man U Forest game, which I'm sure we'll come on to. But as soon as they had a lead, both teams, they just sat back and allowed the other teams to get onto them, didn't they? And like you said, substitutions obviously helped that as well. I, yeah, I, I I don't like that when teams go in front, and especially when you're Newcastle. It's not like you're a lower lower half of the table team now. You know, you're a top team. You should still be going on to try and win the game, not just sitting in with your 1-0 or your 2-0 in Forest's case. I think as soon as you do that, you're just inviting pressure on you and therefore you look at the results, both of them lost. And we spoke about Anthony Gordon the other week as being a player that's, you know, starting to come into us. And I, I thought he looked, he looks like a proper Premier League player. He looks like he's, he's comfortable in his skin. He looks like he's comfortable at the club. He looks a real handful. He looks a threat. Obviously, he's, depending on what stat you, you read, he's the fastest Premier League player out there. But he looks like he could be a real, feel, <laughs> it's old cliche, he feels like a new signing, even though he's been there a while from Newcastle. He, he's a real handful, isn't he? Yeah, when you look how he how he started last year, he was pretty poor, for being honest. Um, you know, there's a bit of ridicule around his signing as well, wasn't there? But yeah, he's, he's started really well this year. I was surprised to see him start ahead of Barnes, if I'm being honest. But he's started and he's made that place his own now, hasn't he? So Barnes is going to have to work really hard to try and take that place from him. But, you know, it's good for the English game as well, isn't it? Another young lad coming through at a big club, playing with confidence, scoring goals, setting up goals. So it's really good to see him performing at that level. Yeah, no, I'm really excited to see what... You know, I love watching players at pace, you know, and especially if they've obviously got an end product. So so hopefully he can keep that end product coming because, uh, like you say, it's, it's, it's good for Newcastle because, again, at the time, people were questioning the amount of money they spent on him. But but hopefully he can, he can reach his full potential. And so talking about Newcastle, obviously they've now played three, lost two which on the face of it seems like a disaster for a Champions League team. But, you know, the two is Man City away and Liverpool at home. Uh, you know, we both sort of said we don't think they're going to have it quite as, not as easy, but quite as comfortable as they had it last year and it's going to be a tougher season for them. Do you think that that's the, the, the test or do you think actually the next couple of weeks when they've maybe got some easier fixtures is when we should start come back and look at Newcastle and see where they're really at? Yeah, I think it's really hard to judge them at the minute. They said they obviously went and spanked Villa, didn't they? Which is a great result. And then, so that, and you can see they're the two teams that they've played. They've had an extremely hard start to the season, um, but I think they've looked pretty good. So, yeah, I do feel it's quite difficult to judge them now. So I will reserve my judgment for another couple of games just to see how they get on. But yeah, I don't think it's going to be um, they have it as easy as they did last year. Because they actually the next two game weeks that they've got Brighton away, which we we'll come on to in a minute, which may be a bit easier than we first thought. But then they've got Brentford at home. So actually, you know, for the first five games, that's you know, even the Villa game, you know, although they comfortably won it, isn't it an easy game based on what we think is going to happen this season. So to have mm. to start with Villa, Man City, Liverpool, Brighton, Brentford, actually that's a pretty tough start for anybody, isn't it? Yeah, it's a really tough start. But like you said, I think it's more about the performances as well. I don't think they've, bar the Man City game, I was disappointed there. I think they've performed pretty well. So I still think they'll have a good season. Um, I think they'll be in and around the fourth spot, but I don't think they're going to make it just on what I've seen so far. Yeah, and and obviously, you know, Liverpool, uh, lots of noise. Obviously, maybe Mo Salah, you know, might be gaining some interest from, from the Saudi league. Obviously, you know, going down to them, and, you know, that, that must give them a real confidence boost, a real injection to this season, because I think a lot of people have been a little bit flat around Liverpool. Maybe they haven't got the transfer and the players in that they wanted, but actually that's, you know, I, I think Jurgen Klopp said, it feels better than coming back from Barcelona in the Champions League semi-final. I question that personally, but I understand what you're saying. But, you know, that, that must set Liverpool up now for a, for a nice run for them to actually go and give it a good shot at getting Champions League football. Yeah, I think so. They've definitely got the squad to do that, haven't they? And so I think a big key to that will be keeping Mo Salah. He's obviously their best player, one of the best players in the league. So if they can keep him, um, you know, and the new signings bed in, like they look like they are as well, like they're playing pretty good football. I'm still worried about their back line. They're conceding goals, aren't they, every game? 
Um, but I definitely think they'll make the top four this year. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it later, obviously. But the, one of the games I'm looking forward to the most, obviously the big game is Arsenal, Man United. But the one I'm actually looking forward to the most is Liverpool, Aston Villa this weekend. Uh, so I think that's going to be a real litmus test for both of them. It's going to be really, really interesting for me to see how that goes. And again, when we talk about our £5, give £5 to a stranger challenge, which we're better off doing Aston Villa at 3-1 to one actually are a, a bit of a shout for me for this weekend. Because I think that could be with Van Dijk missing... You know, like you say, Liverpool do concede and Villa look like they could maybe punish some of those gaps that they create. So, uh, but we'll go into a bit more detail in that later on. But uh, whilst we there, Aston Villa, you know, just keep sort of fixing the problem, really. That, 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 like you said, they got tonked by Newcastle, but then just roll over Burnley very comfortably. Uh, and they look like the team that we thought they could be this season with some real good attacking threats. And Diaby looks like arguably one of the transfers of the summer. I think he is, isn't he? He looks superb. He's, you know, he runs at players, he commits them, he scores goals as well. Um, I think it's a really good signing for them. They look pretty solid as well. I thought they were the, the better of the weekend, to be honest, as well. Villa to beat Burnley, even money. I thought it was a, a bit of a steal, to be honest. They're a very good side. They're a bit underrated, aren't they? And I think they will have a very, very good season. Yeah, and they're, st- and they're still looking in the trouble. So, again, we, 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 you asked me to set it up. I didn't do it properly. So, just, just for everybody, you're actually going to get a double bubble of us this week. I know how exciting for you uh, Obviously, we're coming to the end of the transfer window, so we're going to we're going to do a transfer window wrap up uh, later in the week with with all the latest transfers and rumours, etc. So today we're talking purely about numbers and games and making sure that we we get through the detail of what's happened and what's about to come, and then we'll give you a second episode of transfers. Uh, but Aston Villa do look like they're a club that is still active in that market, trying to strengthen where they've had a couple of injuries. Obviously, Tyrone Mings is out for a long while. Rumours coming through that Clement Longley might be going there to fill that gap for as a, as a sort of a short-term fix. So, uh, interesting that the ownership there are still pushing forward. It must be a really exciting time for Aston Villa fans, mustn't it? Yeah, definitely, especially from the past few years where they've sort of been in and around the relegation zone and sort of mid-table-ish. As soon as Emery's come in, he's pushed them up the table and they just look a completely different team, don't they? Very similar to what Howe's done at Newcastle. Um, just good management has got them there and they're obviously making very, very um, good, smart recruitment yeah, pieces, kidding. aren't they? They're signing some very good players, if we're being honest. They're at good prices as well. They don't seem to be massively overpaying for players as well. Yeah, I guess they're one of them teams that you don't want to kind of rip off, maybe. I don't know, like, you know, like if it, I don't know, Liverpool, Arsenal, Man U, whoever it is, sort of coming, you put sort of £10 million tax on it because it's a big club. Aston Villa probably, you know, and Aston Villa fans might hate you for it, but, but haven't perceptually been seen as a big club for a long while now. And so maybe they, they're they dipping in some of these deals that, you know, like I say, other clubs wouldn't be able to get. Uh, and they're playing the free transfer market. You know, very well as well. You know, they got Kamara last season, obviously Tielemans this season. So they're adding some quality in key positions without spending a lot of money. Yeah, I mean, one thing to, to highlight with them is their wage bill is massive, considering they're not a, a top four club, are they? Their wage bill is huge, so they're obviously going to have to balance the books at some at some stage. Um, but yeah, I think just been, I think it'll be interesting just to see how they go and who it is that they balance the books with. Whether it could be Diaby after a year if he keeps performing, he might be one out the door straight away. Yeah, I've, I've always thought it'd be Ollie Watkins, being honest, because they, they got him, at, you know, they took a punt on him, right? But they got him at a good price in today's market. You know, somebody would easily give you 80 million quid for him now, uh, based on the, the, the proven, you know, how many years he's had proven in the Premier League. He's an easily an 80 million pound striker. So, so it could be somebody in one of them roles. And they've got a couple of youngsters coming through as well that, that might be able to fill the gap. But uh, yeah, good times to be an Aston Villa fan now. Talking of good times to be a fan, probably can't think of a worse time to be an Everton fan. Obviously, uh, again, I have to keep reminding myself and everybody else that, that we were quite big on Sean Dice going to Everton as being a good idea. Uh, 
Uh, I'm rapidly changing my thought process on this and, and to lose 1-0 at home to Everton. Everton lost 1-0 at home to Everton, by the way. To lose 1-0 at home to Wolves in, in the manner that they did as well, it's going to be a really long season for these guys, isn't it? I think so. I'd like to just to highlight, I called Wolves beating them. Yeah. Um, I just and it, it literally played out exactly how I thought it would. Everton, I don't know if you watched Match of the Day or any of the game and the highlights, but Everton had a lot of the ball, they had a lot of chances, but they don't have a forward who can score goals. Like some of the chances they missed were absolute sitters as well. And all that happened was Wolves sat in, soaked up the pressure, hit them on the break and scored late on. And that was exactly how I thought the game would pan out. I mean, if Everton, have ju- I think they've just bought a forward, is it Beto? Yep. yep. If he can come in and score goals, they've got potential to be okay because they've still got some decent players there. But at the minute, from what I've seen, they look toothless. Well, what I can tell you about Beto is that he's six foot four, so fits the mould. He's he's rapid. He likes to run into open spaces, and I think he is obviously the Calvert Lewin replacement because I don't think they they can rely on Calvert Lewin. He's made a weak pick. So, uh, however, having said that, he's never really scored more than fifteen goals a season, so he's not prolific. But again, as you know, as from you know anyone having that focal point as a centre forward creates more goals for other people and create opportunities, etc. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I did watch the highlights, and what I must say, I was surprised at how entertaining the game was and how many chances there were for a, for a, for a one nil. I, I thought it would have been, you know, very dour and dank, but actually, like you said, there was, you know, both goalkeepers made some phenomenal saves to keep it the scores level, didn't they? Yeah, they did, and it was, there was a great save by Jose Sarr, wasn't there? Right near the last ten minutes, where he's dived on the line and he's he's palmed it away, so it was an unbelievable save. Um, yeah, it was, it was a very entertaining game at 0-0, wasn't it? Um, so, yeah, if you actually went to watch the game, it was really entertaining. But, yeah, I, I was just really disappointed with Everton in the end. Some of the chances they missed were just sitters. You think if you can't beat teams like Wolves, you are going down. And so, so where does that leave? So, 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 you know, at the moment, you know, if we were both to do a Premier League table, you know, Everton would definitely be 18 or 19 on the list. I think that's fair to say, even with the new signing. Where does this put Wolves? Obviously, you know, really great first day performance against Man United. Then look terrible. And then come away with three points. Do, do we think Wolves? You know, it looks like they're for me their key man wants to go to. Well, it doesn't look like he definitely doesn't want to go to Man City. Whether Man City come back with the money or not is yet to be seen. But you know, he's gone on strike. Where do we see Wolves finishing at the moment? I think they're a tough one to judge. I mean, I, I've been a bit advocate of them going down this year. You know, and when our pre-season prediction, I had them in the relegation zone. I'm still on that train because I've looked at the other teams and you know, I look at, let's say, Burnley as an example who don't have any points yet, but I think they've looked like they've got a bit about them. Um, I just Again, Wolves just don't seem to have any goals in them. And it, it just worries me. But I do think that they are better than Everton. I think that from what I've seen of Luton, I think you can safely say they're down. Um, so I think they'll be scratching around the 18th place. It could be them for 18, but I can probably see them finishing 17, 16. I don't think it's, it's going to be a good season for them. I can see them definitely fighting relegation with Luton, Everton, uh, Luton, Everton Sheffield. Yeah, it's a funny table down the bottom. It's obviously Burnley and Luton haven't played each other. So actually, you know, at worst, one of them's getting, or both of them are getting a point, or at best, one of them's getting three points, which changes the complexion of, of that bottom half. Uh but yeah, I, I think the bottom six, yeah, bottom seven is probably going to be the bottom seven if you include. For, I think Forest uh, could struggle unless they make some good, good business in the last sort of couple of days of the window. I, I think from Notts Forest down to so Notts Forest, Wolves, Bournemouth, Sheffield, Burnley, Luton, Everton, the relegation will be between those seven in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, I think so. I mean, the one thing you can say about Forest when you look at that is they have goals in them at the minute. 
the forward is is on a six or seven game scoring run. So they have goals in them, but, but the problem is if they dry up from him, then the midfielders don't really contribute, do they? So they could get dragged into it. I think they'll probably have a little bit too much so. And of course, potentially losing one of their, at least from the outside, looking in, you know, key players in Brennan Johnson. Looks like he's going to be uh, making a transfer somewhere else. So, so that could call, obviously brings in money, of course, but, you know, are they going to have time to reinvest that money and do they have the ability to kind of get the right sort of player in? So, yeah, I, I worry for them if a Womney stops scoring, where does the next goal come from? But, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, you, you look at Newcastle, they're only on three points, but but they just feel like they're obviously, uh, that, that's a false position for different reasons. So, uh, yeah, for me, they're the seven that, that, that are going to be fighting out for, for, for relegation. And interestingly, a team that, again, you know, there's now been three teams that have lost their, if you like, their talisman, their number nine, their, their key player in Brentford and Tony, Tottenham and Kane, and Fulham have, have lost Mitrovic. What a great performance. What a great result for them to go to the Emirates. You know, against all odds, to go a man down and to come back and get a draw. You know, what have you thought of? Firstly, let, let, let's deal with Fulham. So, so again, Fulham have lost Mitrovic, but they're, they're, they're still picking up points. What a great job the manager's doing there, and, and actually could still be an okay season for for Fulham, even though they've lost their key man. I think it will be an okay season for them. It's pretty much where they are now is where I think they'll sort of finish mid, very, you know, ten to twelve mid table. Um, he's a very good manager, Marcus Silva, isn't he? he? Knows exactly what he's doing. His team still play with a, a style. Um, you know, possession-based football. And they're still a very good side. Yes, they've lost some key players, but they've also recruited some good players. You know, I think Adama Troy for them is a, is a good signing. You know, he doesn't have the output numbers, but he helps them get up the pitch, doesn't he? Which obviously was a, a big, he had a big impact in the game against Arsenal doing that when he came on off the bench. So, yeah, I think they'll be fine this season. I can't see them being in trouble at all. Did you, did you see that chance he had at two all from the, I think it was from a corner and they broke quickly and he like mm. I was like oh my god that's almost chance like and that's exactly his problem isn't it? that's that's both the, the the benefit and the curse of having him in your team is that not many other players could have broken away at that pace and got into that position but he's the only player to get in that position and not score yeah I think the, the thing with him is if he did have end products he wouldn't be anywhere near Fulham or, or Wolves before that he you know he'd be at Barcelona where he came from. Um, that's the reason why he's playing for those sort of sides. But like you said, only he could get himself into that position. The thing with him is he every now and again, he does take them. He can win you a game. But one of the, the highlights around that is he ran 50, 60 yards with the ball, wouldn't he? Whereas before, if it hadn't have been for him, Arsenal probably would have had the ball. They may have scored. You don't know. So he's got yeah. them all the way up the pitch and you know, ensured that they're not going to concede. So I think he's a real valuable asset to have, especially if he's coming off the bench 20 minutes to go and teams are tiring. Now you've got the extra time added on as well. Teams will be tying him with his fresh legs and his pace. He's going to cause havoc, I think, this season. Yeah, good signing. Like you say, good signing. And again, another club that seemed to pick up some good players. You know, Willian on a free, you know, Triore on a free, you know, but both good bits of business that just, again, keep giving you those options off the bench. Uh, and yes, so it's so a great point for fun. But, but let's move on to Arsenal, who uh, I certainly thought were going to win the league. Uh, but if we look at it, we've only got three games of, of, of evidence so far, but you know none of them have been convincing. Obviously, 2-1 at home to, to Notts Forest. Uh, you know, that's a game that you'd expect Arsenal to win slightly more comfortably than that. 1-0 away against Crystal Palace. I give them a little bit of grace. Obviously, went down to 10 men, arguably incorrectly, but nonetheless, they made hard work of Palace. Uh, and now to draw at home to Fulham. They've gone out and spent you know big, big money on Kai Havertz, big, big money on Declan Rice. And it... It looks like he doesn't know his best eleven now. Like last season, part of Arsenal's strength was it was the same eleven. You, you know, you, you and I both knew who Arsenal were going to play. You know, in terms of on their on, on their team sheet, 
on the Wednesday before the Saturday or the Sunday. This season, he's made some really weird decisions that, for me, feel like they've just lost that flow. They don't seem to be playing the same attacking style of football. And, and actually, it looks like he's blunted both Martinelli and Saka a little bit. I, I put all the blame on the manager on this. Um, how, how he's, you know, he's, he's, he's uh, shoehorning, I was going to say crowbarring, which is the same phrase, yeah. He's, he's crowbarring Partey in at right-back, isn't he, to then try and crowbar Havertz into the midfield. That's not his best eleven in my eyes. Like I said, then he's got Ben White coming into centre half, hasn't he? Like just go with what was tried and tested last year, but add Declan Rice into your midfield, who's replacing Xhaka, who's gone. So it's not like he's having to, you know, leave somebody out. One of the players has left and there's a space there for Declan Rice. So to me, it's really obvious what he does is stick to what you was good last year. Have your back four of Zinchenko, Gabriel, Saliba, and Ben, ben Wyatt, right? Yes. Yeah, and then just add Declan Rice into where Xhaka was and have your midfield as it was last last season with Partey and Odegaard. And, you know, it was a winning formula, wasn't it? They look, they look superb this year, uh, last year. This year, like I said, I, I agreed with you. I think they were, they were going to win the league. They look awful at the minute. I mean, they're on seven points, but actually, it's, I think it's a bit of a false position. Like, I wouldn't be backing them to win many games from what I've seen so far. But for, for me, their seven points is worse than Newcastle's three points. Mm, I agree. And I know that sounds really weird because points on the board, points on the board, I get it. But, you know, you would expect, being honest with you, for those three games, you would expect Arsenal to come away with nine points. Mm, it's, it's on the evidence of how they've performed as well, isn't it? Like we said, Newcastle have played, had some very tough fixtures and come away with three points. But on the evidence of what you've seen, we think they're going to be fine by the way that they've played. But when you look at Arsenal, yes, they've managed to win some points. And you could say it's a good thing winning games when you're playing bad. But... Yeah, they, they don't have any idea. Like all of that zip that they have and verve last year, of energy around the pitch. Like there was so much energy, wasn't there? It doesn't seem to be there this year. No, it feels like a different team. Though Arteta already looks agitated, doesn't he? Like, like you know. And again, I, I, I'm a great fan of his off the back of the All or Nothing documentary series, which I absolutely loved. You know, I could see all of the hard work he did behind the scenes to to, to build that momentum and that energy and that team spirit. Family, he calls it, not even team spirit, family. But it feels to me like he's already coming out in interviews. He's, he's aggressive, he's angry, he's, he's moaning. He's, it feels like maybe he's in a different phase of his journey. Like you said, the Ben White-Thomas Party thing is, is strange because Ben White was doing a phenomenal job of that, creating overlaps with Saka, creating space, creating opportunities, goal-scoring opportunities from that right-back role. You know, Gabriel, unless there's been something behind the scenes with Gabriel, you know, I think he plays something like 147 games on the trot and now all of a sudden he can't get... Like, it just feels like he's trying to put round pegs in square holes and, you know, for me, that midfield would be good enough even if you, you know, drop one of Partey out if you need to. But but Declan Rice, Kai Havertz and Odegaard feels like a strong enough midfield three on its own. Yeah, so I'm, I'm really against the Havertz sign and I don't see one way he fits into the side. I don't particularly think he's that good a player, to be honest, for the money they've paid for him especially. Uh, I think they've got some other players in midfield who are probably better suited to that role, like your Emil Smith-Rose players. I think there's some better players around, to be honest, who they already had in the squad. So I'm not a big advocate of Havertz, but if you're going to put him in midfield, don't then start moving one of your other midfielders to right back. Like It's just... It's, there's no like so there's no flow there. Party isn't a bombing forward right back, is he creating overlaps? He's a defensive midfielder, and that's yeah. his position. So get him there and get the other players around them playing in the position. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's even a rumor going around that that Emil Smith Rowe is is potentially going to Chelsea, uh, which I think would be an interesting interesting move all round. Arsenal and Chelsea seem to be two teams that don't mind doing business with each other, but that still would be a bit of a strange one for me for both sides, the player included, because actually. 
you know, he, he's come through the academy at Arsenal. He's, he's obviously, you know, Arsenal through and through. And, and for me, I think they should be trying to find a way of getting him on the pitch a bit more because actually, like you say, you know, he might have saved them 75 million quid in Kai Havertz if they'd have done that. Yeah, I, I rate Emil Smith-Rowe, but he's the sort of player in midfielder you need breaking into the box, isn't he? Good on the ball, which Havertz for me is meant to be that play. He's almost like a false nine, isn't he? Dropping in, but he's, I mean, some of the, I mean, he passed the ball out of play against... Um, against Fulham. They just literally passed it straight to nobody and they looked around and you could tell the players were a bit frustrated with him. I don't really see what he brings to that Arsenal side. Yeah, I think it's going to be an interesting time. Again, Arsenal fans are getting a little bit precious about the the heat that Havertz is taking in terms of, you know, they feel that he's taking more heat than other people would have done after only three games, etc, uh, etc. Et of course, all fans always think their team is the team that everybody else is moaning about or slagging off. But uh, yeah, Kai Havertz is going to have to you know, again, I'm, I'm actually a big Kai Havertz fan from his time in Germany. You know, his numbers there were absolutely crazy in terms of what he was doing from a midfield place. You know, I hope for him that he he rekindles that form and actually shows everybody why both Chelsea and Arsenal spent that money on him because actually there is a very very good football player in there, but maybe maybe not in the shape that that Arsenal wanted to be playing. I think the, the biggest problem with him is is you, if I was to say to you where's his best position, I don't think you could probably say. Like he's he's a bit of a jack of all trades, isn't he? He can play out wide, he can play the number nine role, the number ten role in midfield. But if you don't really know where your best position is, it's quite hard to then get him into a side, isn't it? I just think he, he probably struggles with that. Yeah, yeah. See, for me, actually, I think I think I could. The irony is, I think I could. But the problem is that the the way that football has changed in the last eighteen months so much is that three years ago, everybody was playing four two three one. And actually, behind the centre forward in that 10 role, as we call it, you know, a, a cam if you've played football manager, uh, is where I see him with, with lots of people around him doing the, the legwork, him creating spaces or finding spaces for him to kind of drift into the box to, to run onto these cross. The trouble is now that the 4 2 3 1 that we play now actually is a 3 2 5, actually is a 2 3 5, actually is a 3 2 3 2. 4-4-2 out of possession. And, and so actually the game has evolved so much in such a short space of time that I think Kai Havertz has become a little bit lost in the in the in the cracks. And actually he needs to redefine how he plays because the 4-2-3-1 in its pure sense doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that's where he's struggling. He's in between a midfielder and an, and an attacker, really, isn't he? And teams aren't playing that formation. I just think that's what Arsenal are trying to do is crowbar him into midfield. But he's not an eight. Well, he's not you know back and forth like an Odegaard, the number eight who's going to get on the ball and dictate play. He is a number ten who needs to be higher up the pitch. And I think when you've got Jesus in the side, especially when he's dropping in in that ten role, you've got two players in the same area. Then, yeah, yeah. Like I say, I've, I've, but your, your point around some of the basics of the game it doesn't matter whether I'm a, you know, again we've already fallen down the rabbit hole, haven't we? Six, eight, ten. It doesn't matter. You should be able to pass the ball ten yards to to a teammate and, and and create a space and look to receive the ball. And if he's not doing the basics right and the basics well, that's when fans will get on his back. Um, mm. You know, like I said, I think sometimes we can overcomplicate the game. You know, I think Brian Clough, listening to uh, a Teddy Sheridan interview the other day, where when he just signed for Nottingham Forest and was looking forward to this great first team talk. You know, expecting these pearls of wisdom, and Brian Clough said, "Win the ball, and when you win the ball, keep the ball. When you lose the ball." Win the ball back and keep the ball. Have some fun. Go and have a great game. And that was the team talk. And Teddy Sheridan went, is that it? Like I was expecting, nope, that's it. And, and that is really how f- simple football should be. 
Absolutely. And it's, you know, the hipsters, that's the trend, isn't it? Football hipsters have come in with all these different phrases and stuff. But all of the things like pressing from the front and all of those cool new phrases, they've been around for donkey's years, haven't they? Of course they have. So it's just the wording that's changed. And the team that we loved or love and team that we praised, but both of us actually said before the season that, that we felt that this year was going to be the year their luck run out. Uh, it looks like their luck has run out for me. Brighton uh, really getting get handed one by West Ham uh, on Saturday night. And the interesting thing for me was when, when the teams were released on, you know, wherever they release them on the TV, on social media, I did a quick look through some West Ham fans sort of timelines to get a sense of it. And every single one of them said, we're going to do these today. We're going to do these today. That Brighton team looks weak. And it really did look weak. Do you think they've run out of luck? Do you think they've, they've pushed the, the, their luck too far and actually, you know, now, now that starting eleven just is not good enough for the Premier League, regardless of the shape that Deserby wants them to play? No, I, 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 well, I think their luck's run out to the extent of they're not going to be pressing higher up the league, like top four, like they were last season. But I still think they're a very good side and I still think they'll probably finish around sixth or seventh because just the way that they play, they're still beating teams, aren't they? Um, so I do feel that they're still going to be picking up results and they'll still be beating the worst sides around them. It's just the the better sides that they're playing, I think they will come and stuck in because but, they've lost that, that quality in midfield. Yeah, but, but so let, let's, let's so they've beaten Luton and, and and again that was late in the game by the way. So, so you know, again, yes, it was two one, but you know, in the eighty seventh minute it was still only two one. They've beaten Wolves. So they've beaten two teams that we're talking about as being relegation battlers. This West Ham team, it would be in brutal again, you know, tell me if I'm wrong, but you know, the, the lineup doesn't fill me with excitement. Yes, they've made some great signings, by the way, and we'll come on to that later. But you know, in terms of I think they've filled the Declan Rice whole final in, they've made another great signing recently that I think adds to that. But you know, it was a masterclass in counter-attacking football, and Brighton didn't really seem to have a have a have an answer. And so just just to, you know, I just want to go through this eleven because this this eleven feels far off. So for Bruggen in goal. Webster, Dunk, Milner, Estepinian, Solly mm. March, Billy Gilmore, Pascal Gross, Danny Wolbeck, Matoma, and Evan Ferguson. That is not, I'm afraid to say, a team that's pushing for Europe this year. I believe that's going to really struggle. Yeah, so I mean, I, I don't think they'll struggle in the sense of there'll be anywhere near that. No, 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 no. But compared to, yeah. we, we, you know, we were all talking about Brighton being this, this, this excellent example of how you build a football club and how you build a team and how you move forward by playing exciting football. They've just got done three one by West Ham. Mm. I, so I, I so I don't think they'll be anywhere near relegation. I don't think they'll be anywhere near the top four. So yeah, I, I do think they'll struggle in the sense of how, how good they were last season. Because when you look at that midfield where you've got Gross and Gilmore, now as, as good as Gross is, I think he became the, the leading goal scorer for Brighton in the Premier League, didn't he, on Saturday as well. So yep. congratulations to him. Um, that is not a patch on Caicedo and McAllister, is it? So that's a huge... Um, that's a huge decline from where that was. Having James Milner starting games at right back as well at was he 59 now, whatever he is. Um, it's, again, it's just not, if you're looking to progress, I mean, as good as he is, as good as he is and has been in and around the squad, he should be starting probably five to 10 games a season, shouldn't he? So if he's the permanent fixture at right back, I'd be worried. Um, Webster and Dunk is pretty solid. Estupian is, is a good player. But then when you look at the, the attackers as well, I mean, we've always spoke quite highly of Solly Marge and Matoma. I think there's goals there. And Ferguson's got some, um, a lot of potential, hasn't he? I was interested to see why Welbeck started instead of João Pedro. I thought João Pedro is a pretty good signing for them. 
Yeah, I think, again, it's, it, it takes time to learn a system, doesn't it? Obviously, again, this is the other problem with football is that players become dependent. And the fact, I think part of the problem for Caicedo going to Chelsea is that he doesn't understand the Chelsea system, understand the Brighton system, and that's causing him some problems. But uh, my guess is at the moment that Jao Pedro just hasn't quite got his head around how, how, how the manager wants him to play within the role. Mm. Uh, who's the um, who's the Brighton lad who's just been injured? I think that's a that's a massive loss for them. He was one of their he was scoring a few goals. He came from like Venezuela. Enciso, that's the one. Yeah, I, I think he. If you add Enciso into that team instead of Welbeck, I think that has a different complexion to it. Um, I think he's going to be a huge loss for them because he was really starting to tick, wasn't he? And scoring goals, you know, very good a, a player on the ball on the half turn in spaces. So I think he's a big loss for them because so you add him into that 11, I don't think it looks as, as you know, ordinary. I think it does look, I think you're right. It does look ordinary when you look at it in a formation, but you add in CISO into that, it does, I think it changes the complexion of it. Yeah. Again, you know, a team that, that unfortunately has created this kind of check us out, look at how good we are at transfers. Uh, you know, take out Colville, because again, you forget about Colville. Take out McAllister, take out Casado. As, as just just those three alone, that any team in the country is considerably worse without those three players. Mm. And you know they haven't replaced Casado yet. It sounds like looking on like that is about to be done, and they found another great little talent. But again, now they're now shopping. Wow. They're now shopping in the twenty million pound bracket. So that now means because teams aren't going to keep letting Brighton pick up players for five million because they're, they're going to oh Brighton wants the player you know I've even seen other fans of other teams get excited if they're linked with the player that Brighton are linked with because they think that well if Brighton scattered him must be really good that tells you how far the world has moved but people are going to go oh it's Brighton oh we'll chuck ten million on it because we know there's going to be a good player like it's just I think this is the end for Brighton in terms of that 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 glory time that they're going to become a absolutely a Premier League stalwart of mid-table mediocrity. But for me, I don't think they ever get back to what they had last season of that you know absolute free-flowing, exciting football. You know, because someone's going to come and snap up Matoma just because he's class above. And I think that this is the you know literally they will become a mid-table team for me. Yeah, which I, I suppose if you'd have asked Brighton fans 10 years ago, are you okay with that? They'd all snap your hands off. Um, but I mean, I'm, I'm interested to see this new lad who's coming in from Lille, Belieber. Yeah. Belieber. Um, 23 million. Um, if you read the quotes, Deserve said he'll be the future of the club. Um, if he comes in and, you know, looks anything like a Casado or plays in that style, because they're saying they've signed him for a specific purpose. Um for a specific style of play, which obviously if he comes in and is in the Kaiseido mould and you know he's got a very good reputation, he's only 19, that, again, that could be a snip and you, we, we could then go back to saying, oh, the transfers are superb. Yeah, yeah, but it, it's just at a high level. That's like, you know, Kaiseido for 5 million, you know, Belieber for 20 million, like they, they've had to up their game as well because everyone's seeing what they're selling players for. So, like I said, that, and that puts a different pressure, you know, a 19-year-old coming to the team at 20 million, the Brighton fans are going to expect them to make an impact on the first team. A 19-year-old coming at 5 million can go and spend a little bit of time in the under-21s and, and take some time to build themselves up. It's just, yeah, like I say, I, I hope, because I, I love what they've done, I hope I'm wrong, but, you know, for me, getting getting a shoe-in from West Ham at home by Brighton is not what would have happened last season. You know, I thought West Ham played counter-attacking football beautifully. Jared Bowen, I even messaged you at the time, should be in the England squad. I think he's he's at the absolute peak of his powers. What a player. You know, James Ward-Prowse looks like he's added something to that midfield in terms of not only uh, quality on the ball, but actually he's he's adding something to open play as well. You know, I think we all sort of think James Ward-Prowse is just a dead ball specialist, but actually he's helping with the press. He's helping, you know, he's, he's become a leader of that team already. And I think West Ham are in for a good season. Uh, yeah, I agree. I, when you look at the West Ham eleven. 
Um, I think it looks a very solid eleven now. I think we, before the season we were talking about, weren't we? You were saying West Ham are in trouble, and I was saying, well, I think you just got to wait for the, the signings that they make because you've know, got 100 million in the pockets, and I think they've spent that really well. Ward Prowse, Alvarez looks really good in midfield. Those two as a pair look really solid, don't yep. they? Yep, they look good on the ball as well. Um, and they've just signed Kudus, haven't they, from, yep. from Ajax as well, which is going to give them a bit more um, firepower out wide as well. So I think the business that they've done there is really good, and I think they'll go on to have a very good season. And that was where, that was why I was holding my judgment on them, thinking if they do sign a few good players, because they have got a, a decent squad there, um, you know, on the back of the the European victory as well, going into the season with confidence, new signings as well. I think they'll have a good season. Yeah, as with all these teams, you know, and again. Same problem for Brighton. That Thursday, Sunday is going to become relentless. I'm not sure either team have done enough yet to fill some of the gaps. But, you know, good start from West Ham. I was very, very impressed with their performance. Obviously, you know, as we move on to next week's fixtures, you could argue they've got the easy one, you know, Luton. Uh, or having said that, it'll be Luton's first home game in the Premier League. So I'm going to be interested to see, A, how the stadium looks. Uh, I'm not sure if you're aware, but you have to walk through something. I don't want to do it. <laughs> You probably think that's so, a breaking news. Uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to some more of those photos going around. Uh, but you'd have to expect West Ham to go and beat, beat Luton. That will put West Ham top of the table on 10 points. You know, what a great start, you know, based on all of that summer of kind of anguish of what's going to happen with Declan Rice, etc. You know, for me, they're, they're, they've absolutely turned around. If they can just get a centre forward, again, Mikel Antonio's had a great start to the season, but for me, he's not going to be a 20-goal season forward. Uh, then West Ham, you know, could, could comfortably hold on to that European position and go deep in, in the European Cup, which would be great for them. Uh, obviously, I'm assuming that we both think that's just going to be a, a relatively straightforward, comfortable West Ham win on Friday night. Yep, I think they're my bank of the weekend. Okay, oh, interesting. Now, it's, it's a horrible place to start uh, for a whole bunch of reasons, but I think it's important that we start with the early kickoff on Saturday because obviously Sheffield versus Everton. You know, again, it felt like last week we spoke about a relegation six-pointer with Everton versus Wolves. Sheffield United, Everton, that feels to me like under two and a half goals. Uh, God knows what happens, but but that could be a really uh, interesting but difficult start to the Premier League weekend. How do you see that one going? Do you think Sheffield United have got enough in the tank to be able to go and nickel win? I do. I think if I was to back anyone, I'd be backing Sheffield at home. Um, you know, they have scored a couple of goals this season as well, haven't they? And they've looked okay. Um, I, I would be backing Sheffield if I had to. I mean, to me, it's got a draw written all over it. Probably nil-nil in my in my eyes. Probably nil-nil, one all at a push. But yeah, I, I'd be backing the draw. Yeah, me too. I, I might even be swerving that one and catching that one on on, on highlights. The game that I am, and, and, and again, we've just spoken about it in great detail on Saturday. That, that, that's exciting for me is, is the five thirty kickoff, Brighton versus Newcastle. Uh, you've gone for your banker of the weekend. For me, the banker of the weekend is actually Newcastle. I think Newcastle are going to win this game really comfortably. And I think based on the odds that are being produced, I think for me, in terms of what I'm looking at for the weekend, they are going straight in everything that I'm doing. Yeah, I think they're they're a good bet this weekend. This is the acid test of Brighton, isn't it? Like we were saying, they've, they've beaten a couple of sides they should have and then they've come up against one side, a good side and lost. So this will be the acid test. If they start performing well and you know get something from the game, we can probably turn around and say Brighton are in for a decent season again. But if they do get beat, then we are in the situation of where they're going to get beat by good sides but beat the other teams around them. So yeah, I think that's the acid test for them, but I do think Newcastle will win. Yeah, I mean, Newcastle are 29-20. to 20 to win that game. You know, you're doubling your money and some. Uh, for me, uh, I think just in terms of the pace, the power, the options off the bench, you know, you look at what, what Everton did on the, on the break 
with Jared Bowen and Mikel Antonio, I, I, I only dread to think what that Newcastle could do on the break with Anthony Gordon, Harvey Barnes, Callum Wilson, Isak, Almiron. Do you know I mean? I just think that that, you know, obviously Newcastle will probably try and integrate Lewis Hall into the team as well as a way of beating the press. I think for me, uh, that's, that could be a high scoring game, but I see Newcastle having far too much firepower for, for Brighton. Yep, I agree. Uh, there we go. We agree. So we spoke about it you know, again. Talk about the Sunday. You know, this is probably where we should spend most of our time because actually there's an interesting game north of the border as well that we should probably have a little bit of a conversation about with, with uh, Rangers hosting Celtic. But we'll, we'll come on to that in a second. So I, I touched on it earlier. Liverpool versus Villa. Uh, this is going to be a really, really interesting one, both stylistically, both in terms of seeing where both of them. You know, we spoke about litmus test, acid test, or however you want to phrase it. You know, Aston Villa going into. Liverpool's patch, Liverpool's territory. You know, Aston Villa obviously got torn to pieces by by Newcastle, but Liverpool are going to be missing at least Van Dijk as a as a key player that back there. Do you think Aston Villa can pick the holes? Do you think Aston Villa have got enough solutions to to be able to go there and nick a win? I do, I do. I think they've got um, you know they're on a good run of form, aren't they? Liverpool look like they're they're conceding goals every single week, and obviously Van Dijk is suspended. So I do think Villa can get something there. I mean, I think the bet here is uh, Villa or the draw, double chance. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how how Liverpool because you know when when Trent looked like he was going to get sent off early, they they sent Joe Gomez out to warm up. Plus, you can blind me, that's a downgrade. Uh, I, don't, I don't know who they're going to whether they go Canate Matip, uh, but whoever it is, you know, even though you could argue Van Dijk is not the same player he was since injury, it's still going to be a massive miss for them in the middle there, isn't it? With, with Ollie Watkins, with DRB, uh, and with their other options coming off the bench, you know, Villa for me feel like that, like you say. A, a, a draw would almost be not not as great a result for Aston Villa as it would have been a couple of years ago. Yeah, I agree. I think you look at the way Liverpool are playing. Yes, they're, you know they're picking up a few results, but they do look dodgy at the back. And without the main guy at the back, said so he's not the same player he has been, but he's still still Virgil Van Dijk. Villa should be looking at that and thinking we could beat these. So I'd be very surprised if they don't at least score. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I mean, yeah, there's all different types of stuff there. I think Holly Watkins on the break, you know, absolutely. It wouldn't surprise me if Aston Villa took an early lead, but based on the way that some of these games are going, I mean, obviously we didn't speak about it in detail, but, you know, Man United going 2 0 down at home to, to Notts Forest was a bit of a wow moment. And it wouldn't surprise me massively if Aston Villa got off to a, an absolute flyer and scored a goal or two goals early doors to, to really get a sense of what's going on there. And so, Obviously, there's still loads of time left in the transfer window. In the real world, obviously, it's Wednesday today, but you know there is still time in, in, in the football world. For you and me, we'd probably be getting a bit panicky, but it seems like there's, the, the wheels are starting to move. You know, for Liverpool, what do you think they need in the next sort of 48 hours to really give them that, cement that, that Champions League sort of challenge that they should be doing? I think they've sorted out the front line, haven't they? Um, and I think the midfield looks pretty solid now. That was the biggest problem last season. They have to go and get some central defenders. They can't just keep relying on Virgil van Dijk, who looks like he's declining. They need to go and get some quality in, this, in the centre-back position for me. I think that's a, a, a real area of, of worry for me. Yeah, yeah. And, and so, you know, if, if you was advised to put your, your, your arm at your back, you're going Villa and the draw, are you, as, as, as your shout, Villa and the draw, or, or Villa and the draw, I bet that, that's going to be your shout, is it, with over, over know, both teams to score? Yeah, I reckon both teams will score. I reckon the result will probably be one all, but um, from a better perspective, I think double chance Villa and the draw is a good a good shout. That's 23 to 20. Doubling your money. And so, uh, 
Mo Salah, uh, we, we touched on it earlier on around how Saudi keep sort of showing interest. Is he is he doing what you need him to do? Is he playing at, at the level that you want from him, or, or do you think there's still more to come from him? Obviously, he's not not got off to the best starts in terms of banging goals in, but but are you comfortable with his all round contribution to the team? I think he's still contributing, isn't he? He's just he doesn't whether it's whether he's going to hit the heights of what he's previously hit. I don't think he ever will. He's probably a bit of a purple patch, to be honest. Um, he's not going to be banging in the goals pretty much every game like he was. He hasn't got the players around him. You know, he is aging as well. So I think he is still contributing, but he's not the same player he was a couple of years ago, is he? Doesn't seem to be at the moment. You're right. And for, the interesting thing for Liverpool is that they've got lots and lots of options: Gakpo, Nunes, Jota, uh, Diaz. You know, none of them are that Sane, Salah, sorry, Sane, Mane, Salah. Uh, combination that they had when they were just flying and you knew where the goals were coming from. They're all very, very good players, but I don't see any of them actually getting to sort of 20. And, you know, I don't know that he knows his best front three yet and, and it always feels like he's sort of doing a little bit jiggering poker. But but the one player that I think has gone under the radar when we talk about, and we do this more on the, the transfer update later on in the, in, in the week, is that Schlobberschlei is coming to that midfield. Young, people probably didn't know what he's capable of, but actually had to do some different jobs to what he's, you know, again, with a player going down, he's having to play a bit deep because they have had two players sent off now this season already. If you remember, McAllister got sent off earlier on against uh, someone, first game of the season, Bournemouth. Bournemouth. And so actually, Shobside's come in and done a really, really good job of just holding that midfield together. So he's one to keep an eye on as, as someone that, that I think as the season goes on, people will start to appreciate how good he is more and more every week. Yeah, they've got some really good players, haven't they, in the squad? I think the one thing that I think you've just said it there is that is to highlight is they haven't got the players on the level of of Amane, have they yet? You've got players with some potential. You know, Jota's a good player. Um, Diaz is obviously a good player, but the output numbers of Salah and Mane of those few years ago, they haven't really got anyone who you think is going to hit those numbers. And I think that's the issue they've got at the minute, and it's probably why they've had to sign a lot more players to try and spread the load. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I said. I, as with many teams right now, to be honest with you, he probably doesn't know his best eleven. Uh, you know, Nunez obviously not getting a look in, but comes off the bench and looks lively. Uh, it's going to be very interesting to see where uh, where Liverpool kind of wash out at the end of this transfer window. They can get the best of the line, and then obviously we roll down to the Emirates. Uh, if we're being honest with you, two teams that, that have stuttered their way uh, into the Premier League season. Uh, I think it's fair to say we're both kind of agreeing in that. Obviously, Arsenal hosting Man United. This has to be a home banker, though, surely, because Man United are in disarray. Obviously, uh, at the moment, they're currently scrambling around Europe to try and fill their left-back role because they don't have one. The midfield doesn't look right. They're currently scrambling around Europe trying to find a central midfield player. It feels like they've had the whole window to try and fix some of the problems, and they're, they're leaving it to the last 72 hours, which is is never where you pick up the good business, is it? No, and some of the names you, that you've heard being touted around for the left-back spot is unbelievable. I've seen Ryan Bertrand being linked as a sign-in which is just not the level Manchester United are at, are they? He's 35 now, I think he is, 34, something like that. So it just shows you where they currently are. But um, I mean, yeah, I mean, if you were to say to me on the face of it, is this home bank? You should have to say yes, but Arsenal have looked really poor. So I'm going one all. I'm going to score a draw. I don't think either team is looking particularly good at the minute. I can't see any of them really wrestling um, three points off the other one. If, I was to, if you were to ask me who was going to win, if I had to, I'd say Arsenal, but one all for me. Yeah, okay. okay. But, but uh, you know, Arsenal have looked bad, but but picked up results. You know, like I say, albeit by the old goal here and there. Uh, I'm not sure whether Hoyland is, is fit yet for, for Manchester United. I think he will make a big difference, not necessarily just in terms of his goals. I'm not suggesting he'll come in and score 
a barrel ton of goals, but but he will free up people like Sanjo, like Rashford, to create and go back into their, their better shape. And of course, having that focal point will help. But there's no point having a £70 million centre forward if you've got Ryan Bertrand in left back. Uh, like you say, the, the list of names they're looking at is Sergio Reguilon, uh, Marcus Alonso, who's just left Barcelona because they couldn't afford to re-sign him. Uh, they're looking at Marco Correa, who actually, for me, is the is the absolute shooing into that role because actually, mm. I think that certainly again he's another one of those Brighton players that looked amazing at Brighton hasn't really done it at Chelsea, but actually I think of all of them he's the one that has the upside that could be good enough to get in that Man United starting eleven. Yeah, I still think he's a good player. He's obviously come for big money, hasn't he? And just hasn't probably adapted to the Chelsea style of play. I think it'd still be a good signing for a club if they were to get him. Yeah, I agree. I, th- I think he's the one they should go for. Uh, you know, where, where, where are Man United in the picking? Yeah, Man, Man United have always been one of these clubs. You know, blimey, you know, Alex Ferguson it feels like they won it twenty years on the trot. But but where are Man United right now? Because at the moment, I don't see. I don't see them being champions. I don't see them getting top four as it stands. I don't, I don't see them maybe even finishing top six as it stands. Am I wrong? Or am I missing something? Or do you think that's about right? I think they'll finish top six. I don't think they'll have a problem there. They've got too much quality over the sides, I think. But I can't see them getting in top four. I think there's far better sides out there. I mean, when I look at like West Ham's side, as an example, at the minute, I can't, if they were to play Manchester United, I think that'd be a very close game. Yep, agreed. Um, you know, I've got Newcastle who are down in 13th. I think Fulham could give them a good game as well. Like Brentford, like there's teams around them who I think are some similar to Manchester United at the minute. Like we mentioned Brighton saying probably not having as good a season, but I could see Brighton giving them a game, probably passing them off the park as well. I don't think Manchester United are, are going to be in the top four at all. I've not rated some of the business. I think Mason I think Mason Mount being out last week was a blessing for them. I think that's one of the reasons why they probably went and won, because they've had to change the shape and personnel. If they bring Mason Mount back in, I don't think that midfield is is um, you know it's each other complement each other. So I I feel that they're going to miss out on top four just because I don't think they've had good enough recruitment and I don't think they've got good enough players to be honest. Well, interestingly, you mentioned there are a couple of teams. So obviously, Man United go to Arsenal at the weekend. Uh, then they host Brighton. Uh, obviously, that is after uh, the international break. So, you know, maybe the manager will have to... But again, actually, most of Man United's players will be away anyway. So, so who knows what that's going to look like. So, Man United will host Brighton. They then go to Burnley, uh, which, again, should, in theory, be... And they've got Palace. So, in theory, you know, th- their next four games, for me, are going to be the real test of where Man United are. You've got Arsenal. You've got Brighton at home. You've got Burnley away. Crystal Palace at home and then Brentford at home. Those five games will really give us a sense of where Man United really are, right? Yeah, definitely. They've got to start putting a few of their sides away, haven't they? If, they, if they've got top four aspirations, which they 100% should do, they've got to start putting some of those teams to the sword and winning quite comfortably. And from what I've seen so far, I just don't think they will. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And uh, last, last one for the weekend, a big weekend. Actually, there's lots of... Uh, lots of value out there. If you can, obviously, as with always, if you can pick out the winners. Uh, but Rangers host Celtic in the first old firm crash of the of the season. Throwing this one on you, we haven't, I haven't prepped you on this one at all, so you didn't know he's going to go there. Uh, looks like Celtic are struggling under the new regime, not picking up the results that they certainly were this time last year. And actually, uh, this one is pretty much evens in terms of what, where the bookies think this could go. Rangers... Obviously, got a big game tonight that could have a, a bearing on, on, on what they do in the rest of the window. Have you been impressed with Iroh's team? Do you think both of them are? You know, how do you see the game going? Have you kept an eye on the Scottish football scene? You don't have any clue at all what we're talking about. Yeah. So, so to be, if I'm being honest, I've not watched a lot of them at all. Um, but at the beginning of the season, I mentioned to you on the, on the five k challenge, I put Celtic to win the league in in one of my acres, which I thought was an absolute banker. 
must admit I'm a little bit worried about it now. I think um, some of the noise that I've heard coming out of there from Brendan Rodgers, he, he actually turned around and said he doesn't have enough match winners. When in the pre- previous season, Postacoglu went and absolutely romped the league with the same squad minus Jota. Yep. So how he thinks he hasn't got enough match winners in the squad of which Postacoglu has just romped the league is beyond me. So I think some of the noise coming out from the manager, um, I've, I've seen some of the comments from the fans as well. They've said that uh, they're not happy with the style of play. Um, I think it doesn't sound like it's a good atmosphere up there and they're probably not happy with um, the Brendan Rodgers that they've they've got there. I think you know he's probably not the same manager that left. Celtic all those years ago, so uh, yeah, I'm I'm a bit concerned for my bet to be honest that I've had Celtic to win the league. I still think they will because they've probably just got too much over Rangers. But um, if Rangers start getting their act together and winning some games, which didn't last season, they're going to push them really hard. Yeah, it's it's very interesting, isn't it? Like you kind of sometimes you have to be careful who you follow on from. You know, like David Moyes. Uh, is a phenomenal Premier League manager, but obviously followed on Sir Alex Ferguson, and that obviously didn't end well. And so therefore, then people question your abilities and I think I think Brendan Rodgers was arrogant enough to go and follow Buster Coglu but actually I think it's going to be the death knell I actually can't stand Brendan Rodgers as a human being as a manager I've never liked him he's one of the you know if you ask me who's the who's the manager you would like to manage your club least he is that name Mm. Uh, so I am a little bit biased in this I've I've just got an irrational hatred for the man I don't know where it comes from really Uh, I just can't stand him but that's like you say, they've lost Jota, but they've still got everybody else there. And you know, if anybody's going to go to Scottish football, Celtic would have the preference over anybody else. And and some of the the turd that got knocked out of the cup, a couple of them, like they're not scoring. Got you know, the one thing about Celtic was they used to be free flowing, attacking football, scoring goals. Okay. And whatever I think of Brendan Rodgers, that's kind of the perception he likes to give as he plays the second. But Celtic have stopped scoring goals. Mm. You know, they've become yeah. dull. You know, and yeah. and no one wants that. And that's 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 what some of the comments that I saw was one of them was specifically saying we've got season three Brendan Rodgers back rather than season one, and they said yeah. when he when first went into Celtic the football they played was was breathtaking, but then after a while it's this possession based football where they pass across the back and they don't go anywhere. There's no real um, sort of plan of of what they're doing. It is just possession based football for the sake of it. And I think when you look at a lot of the comments, a lot of them are saying that, saying that it's boring to watch, that they're not creating any chances, which is then proven by some of the results. So, yeah, for me, it's a real worry. Um, I mean, the only hope for for my bet is that the team are just going to be too good for the league eventually. Yeah, well, yeah, but we all know that the league will be determined realistically on, on these games. You know, if, if Rangers win the old firm derbies, then that should be enough to see them over the line. Uh, having said that, Rangers have obviously already made a prompt for themselves by losing one of their fixtures, uh, first fixture of the season. But but look like they've they've turned that around. And, and for me, I'm actually going to put my neck on the line and say that I see Rangers nicking this one. Uh, I think it's the right time for them. I think Rangers are on a bit of an upward curve. I think Celtic are in a bit of a diet, you know. And, and I think actually this could be, you know, if if, if I can send one message to Brendan Rodgers, other than I hate you, uh, it would be in, in, enjoy this last stint as a Celtic manager because this will be your last gig at a top flight club because no one's going to come after you after this. Yeah, if he flops, nobody's going to take him, are they? If we're being honest, he's flopped at a few clubs now. I think um, where I'd where I'd predict this game going, I mean, I've predicted quite a lot of draws and I'm going to go down that route again, is I see this being one all or two all. Um, Again, I don't think there's a lot between the sides. I think if you're going to play it safe, I'd be going on the draw. 
Yeah, abs- and, and can absolutely see it happening as well, of course. But uh, like I say, I, I'm always uh, I always like to fear on the side of someone having the the courage to go and win the game. And like I say, but if, if Rangers can get through the PSV fixture tonight with with a, with a win or or enough to go through. I think the energy that will bring the club should see them through on Sunday. But either way, it's always a great start to your Sunday football viewing is, is the old firm derby. You know, even if you don't watch much Scottish football normally, it's the one game that you can get involved in and, and the atmosphere will be electric. And, and, you know, it's a good way to start your Sunday viewing with then Liverpool, Aston Villa, followed by Arsenal, Man U. There's some great European football on this weekend as well. So again, another weekend, unfortunately, uh, don't tell the missus where I'll be sat in front of the telly watching football from all over the world, mate. <laughs> she'll love you <laughs> she doesn't <laughs> <laughs> she, unfortunately it's just too expensive to stop now we're too far down the line but she definitely doesn't uh, look again as I say every week friend, love cash up we talk about football where can people reach out obviously we've got some ideas around uh, content and conversations that we'd like to have with, with people so where can people find us and where can they reach out to us so we're on Twitter. If you just search for the atmosphere is electric, you can send us any direct messages. You can reply to any of our tweets. So we're going to be putting some other contents out there, uh, like sort of um, different 11s, so like dog 11s, food 11s, those sort of things, which other people do, but it's just just a good laugh. So yeah, we'll be putting stuff out uh, on Twitter like that. So yeah, reach out to us there. And we're also on Spotify where you can send us a voice note. Thanks for downloading the latest episode and we hope you enjoyed it. Once again, thank you for all the support you've given us and please help us grow the channel by following us on Twitter and Spotify. From both Rich and Fran at the Atmosphere is Electric, goodbye and we hope to see you next week.